Hello and welcome to Kyrinos Finsight, the podcast that explores some of the most pressing topics for financial services. Insights that help you navigate today and anticipate tomorrow. Hello and welcome to the Kyrinos Finsights podcast. Today, my guest is Theo Lau, who is founder of Unconventional Ventures, podcast host of the podcast One Vision and author of the book Beyond Good, How Technology is Leading a Purpose-Driven Business Revolution. Welcome, Theo, to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Before we dive into talking about your book, Beyond Good, can you tell us what Unconventional Ventures is focused on? Yeah, so we like to focus on things that people don't normally typically focus on. So a lot of the themes of the work is around inclusion. So it's around financial inclusion. How do we extend the product sets to people that have typically been ignored or forgotten by the financial services systems? Um, how can we use technology differently to service more people or service them in a different way? So that's predominantly the theme of the work, as well as the theme of the podcast and books. That sounds like great work you're you're doing. I, I always enjoy the podcast, uh, enjoyed the book. So let's talk about the book. What what has changed since the publishing of the book? I think things have taken a nosedive. <laughs> <laughs> that that was that that was one of the things. Jokes aside, a lot of the themes that we have explored in the book has not changed, right? So the topics around longevity. We're still getting older, last I checked. Uh, topics around gender equity, right? That's still a lot of work that needs to be done. Challenges around uh, climate change and what does financial services have to do with that? That's still a work in progress, if you will. So it focuses on financial services, but we also brought in examples from outside of financial services. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a great book, and I think it's it, it was certainly uh, a good time to to, to write it, and and I like what you what you have to say. Um, as we say, it's been a turbulent year, and yes, the, the the fintech boom has turned into maybe a fintech winter, right? The sky high valuations have come down quite a bit. How do, how do you think this will impact innovation in financial services? That's an that's an interesting question. I think we need to take a step back and look at. Yes, the funding has tightened up a little bit in the last 16, 18 months, but let's look back a little bit further, right? Let's look back two years ago. Let's look back three years ago, four years ago. And and then you can start to see, well, you know what? Perhaps what we're seeing is a correction that was much needed because, as you said, it was sky high to the extent that it wasn't really making much sense. Perhaps this is a time for us to refocus back on the fundamentals. Ultimately, we need a business model that is sustainable. Ultimately, we need a path to profitability. And ultimately, we need to find a way to create services that can sustain ourselves beyond just looking for venture funding, right? So, if we peel all those layers back, we'll see that we still have a lot of money going around. And there are still a lot of dry powder, which is funding that is ready to be deployed. And we still see startups being funded as long as those have good fundamentals that we can ride on. And we are see still seeing a lot of I would say community fintechs and purposeful fintechs that are being funded, which is a good sign because that's what fintech was supposed to be about, wasn't it? When it started is we want to change 
what we did not like in the current financial services system. There are things that we can do better. And what are those? What are some of the infrastructure things we need to work on? What are some of the demographics that we forgot about that we need to create better services for? And we're still seeing those trends. The funding was so hot that it almost felt like uh, fintechs were trying to fund because it was there. And I agree, like you need you need to make sure that the fundamentals are there. The, so the question then is kind of like, does that this it impact how innovative fintechs are going to be if they have to focus more on profitability? I, I I would argue that any fintech that is being innovative still needs a a proper profit model that long term makes sense. What what are your thoughts? I agree. I agree. It needs to be it needs to make sense at the end of the day. You need to be able to find ways that you can do what you need to do in a way that you can sustain yourself. If you think about fintechs and look about how they have been able to move the needle in financial services. So for example, the whole idea of earned wage access, right? That was something that a few of the fintechs started quite a few years ago, or the elimination of overdraft fees, for example. Again, that was started by a few fintechs. And now what do we see? We see incumbent banks copying it. So there is value in what the fintechs are doing and have been able to push the envelope to make the entire ecosystem better. So the question is, what's next? Now, one of the key themes in your, in your book is, is around inclusion. Um, how can technology lead to more financial inclusion in terms of product design and product use? That is a wide question. I don't know how much time we have on, on the show. But one of the things I had always been really, really interested and intrigued about, it's the people that we serve, that we use technology for. So let's look at, for example, in the onsets of COVID, when it first started. And then I believe it was a year after that, the likes of PayPal and a few other banks came out and say, oh, wait a minute. Guess what is the fastest growing demographic of people of, that are using our fintech or digital banking app? People over the age of 55. Oh, wait, what happened to that old bias that we had? Old people do not use technology. And throughout COVID, we found out that if we create products that are easy to use, that serves a purpose, right? Has a utility, people, regardless of what age group they are, will go and use it, right? And so that was a brilliant example on the back of a tragedy that has shown us we can use technology to do more. Because let's look at what's happening um, nowadays around us. We see more and more bank branches closing. We see more and more companies coming out and say, you know what, we're just going to focus on um, you know, the digital channel. I, I remember seeing an airline that came out that says, no more calling in for customer service. We're just going to use the app if you need to reach anyone. Well, okay, that's all good and wonderful, but what about the rest of the people who don't have access to internet? What about the rest of the people who cannot afford internet? How can we create things that we can still include them? How can we do things that allow them to be in formal financial services? And, and that's where I look towards the East. People laugh when I say that. If we look at, for example, the whole concept of super app, that started five, six years ago with the likes of Alipay and WeChat. 
that was when I remember I was in Asia and I came back and I said, wow, look at these. And people were laughing at me. They said, so what is so interesting about using a QR code to pay? Well, but that was not the point is what that enables because it creates a whole ecosystem of people who cannot just pay with QR code, but they also use that same ecosystem to save. They use that as a means to invest. They use that to get cars, right? So think about Uber and Google and Amazon and um, you're, you're lumping all of them together in a bank. And it enabled a lot of micro entrepreneurs and people who previously did not have access to bank account to be able to start up their own business, have access to microcredit, which then can use to expand their business and to do things that they otherwise couldn't. So it creates a dream, a way for people to aspire to a different future. So make it, make it more scalable, give more people access um, and make things easier, right? Because I think that your, your point on the pandemic, that it that, that was also a little bit of a forcing mechanism, right? Some some people had to learn how to do remote check capture. Some people had never scanned a QR code, right? And had to do it and then figured out, hey, you know what? Actually, it isn't that scary or it isn't that hard to do. I think pandemic in that sense moved a lot, a lot of people forward that might have been sort of tech hesitant before, right? And realized, hey, I can do this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Another topic in financial services that, that's hot is embedded finance. How do you think embedded finance can help or hurt customers? I love the topic of embedded finance because it if you think about it, right, Uber, right, you get you get a car ride, but then at the same time there's no exchange of cash in hand. Same with the ride hailing in the Far East. I'm gonna go back to the East, um, grab and go jacks. Those are the same things. And it can do a whole lot more. And, and that is the exciting things about it. Farmers in you know, developing economies or farmers that are in places that are more prone to climate change, for example, Africa, they can use the apps and with the embedded um, AI and IoT technology, the comp the, they can get access to micro credit. Um, they can show, hey, you know, here are the crops I'm growing. Or after a um, weather incident, then they can get the seeds replenished right at that planting season and not have to wait another year. So those are examples of embedded finance that are doing really, really good for people. Where I think we need more work is to, we need to take a step back, which is interesting to think about as the world is moving so fast and think about as you're creating all of these efficiencies, if you will, are we leaving people behind? And, you know, I would cite an example of an airline, which I do fly a lot. And in recent flights, um, I noticed that they have actually updated their app and you put the credit card in the wallet, in the, in the uh, airline's app. They no longer take credit card on flight, which, okay, it makes sense. It makes things easier. They can see through, they can scan and boom, pay. You don't have to worry about money and, and everything else. They don't have to worry about what if there's no connection? What if they cannot run the card? But what about people who either missed the announcement that they're doing it before they got on the flight or people that don't have a smartphone? I mean, yes, a lot of people do, but there are still some that do not have a smartphone. And I recently ran into that example on the flight was um, an older lady who was on the plane. She did not know that that was the new case and 
she told the flight attendant, "I'm really hungry. I've been on planes the whole day. I have not eaten. Can I get a meal?" And the flight attendant basically froze. She stood there like, "Wait, we didn't think about this. How do I go about getting you food without you having the payment embedded in your phone?" And luckily, a gentleman right behind her stepped up and said, "You can just charge it to my seat. That's fine. I'll pay for it." But those examples, right? Something so basic. I would have hoped that as we continue our journey towards digital, that we'll think about what if. Yeah. So, so as we're thinking about sort of how embedded finance can help and include more people, I, I think you make a great point. We should also look at who we're excluding, right? People that don't. Have a smartphone, or don't, or same same thing. I think I just read an article about branches closing. What you mentioned before, um, I think in the UK and the bank sort of said, "Oh, we'll we'll give everyone a tablet." It's like, okay, that's great. That's a great sort of alternative if people are willing to do that. But there are certain groups. I I think of my elderly parents that are no longer able to do banking. Even if they tried, they can't do banking on a tablet. So we do have to think about as we're. Doing great things by including people that we also figure out are we potentially excluding other people? Absolutely, and you know, and I love that you brought up the example in in Europe because they also have the concept of banking services in post offices that do way more than what we do in post offices in here, and it's a thing. Same with Japan and same with India, for example. So there are a lot of economies outside of the United States where they are rethinking. What are the basic infrastructure that people understand and need? Everyone knows where the post office is, right? And so, how can we reimagine their role in our society and use that to put into different purposes? So that's a great example, and yeah, I, I agree that would be something that we could leverage in this country as well. One of the topics you talk about a, a lot, right? You're you're on on many panels uh, in in your your speaking about is analytics and how it can be leveraged in financial services. So, what role does analytics play in the trend towards more personalization in banking? Good topic. Good topic. That's that's the net we've been trying to crack for so long.、Um, one of the things I think people love to say is there's no lack of data in financial services, but can we actually use it to create something useful? That's a whole different story. And I think the encouraging sign in the last few years we've seen is, for example, data call centers. Right? We have seen data being used more often, getting feedback from you know why people calling in, how long is the call time, etc., and then use that to move up and use, for example, AI. To improve that process, make things more efficient, so people hold less, or you know, direct them to、um, automated services that can save time and make it easier, make the whole experience a little bit more seamless, or、um, perhaps use it to understand where again you can drive efficiency in the entire flow. And so we're starting to see more of, for example, AI application in credit lending. In thinking about, you know, hey, are these people? How can we rethink the credit model to service them? And and there has been、um, different projects with the big banks this year that started. That's looking at can we provide credit card to people who don't have the typical credit profile that we know? Can we help them get into the system and help them build credit? Understanding them better using data that is outside of what we normally know—we call it the alt data—and help them 
create something, um, get them a foot in the door, if you will. One other topic we discussed in preparation for this podcast is uh, family finances. Can you explain what that term means to you and, and why it's important for, for financial services executives to think about it? It's my favorite topic with saying saving it um, the best for the last. Why is it important? Because we all have families. Most of us do. Um, we have parents. And for those of us who are fortunate, we have children, right? And so when we think about how we live, how we earn a living, and how we spend and save, has anything changed in the last hundred years? I would say yes. But on top of it, we have also lived an extra 30 healthy living years. And so if I put myself in context, I am the infamous Gen X, which most people forget about because they jump right from boomer down to millennial and then Gen Z. But we're also the sandwich generation. We have children, in my case, for example, who are 10 years away from going to college. And I have my parents who are in the late 70s, who in 10 years time, as my kids go to college, will be in the late 80s. And at that time, I'll be 60, which in typical financial services um, space, people will be like, oh, you need to think about retirement. Okay, well, my question would be, who can I turn to, to figure out at age 60, what should I do with my retirement at the same time? How should I fund my two children? For college, at the same time, put money aside to take care of my parents who will probably need financial caregiving, right? And ideally, I would have started that process now to give me 10 years of lead time to think about that. And so I think at the end of the day is the way we work is different. The way we earn a living is different. A lot of people have their own companies. They start their own companies late in life. They're doing gig work. They could have been retired and coming back semi-retirement just to work extra because what else are you going to do sitting at home? And so with all of those changes, have we changed the way we plan for longevity? Have we changed the way we think about saving? All of the products out there are personal finance. If I choose to do a certain things right now in my life, my decision will impact my kids' future. So it is not me, it's family. I would love to see more products that look at that because it is an opportunity. Oftentimes, and, and I remember I got told by multiple bank executives that we don't do anything with older people because they're decumulating and we, that is not something we want to get into. They're taking money out. We want to focus on the younger kids. Well, newsflash, a lot of the new family caregivers are Gen Zs and millennials. If you want to capture their attention, do something that will actually ultimately be helpful to them and their family's future. Yeah, very interesting and, and I think very timely to start thinking about that for, for financial executives. Uh, we know in, in the wealth space, there's, there are things as family offices, but in, in sort of like retail banking, there's no such thing. You're, you're right. It's very much sort of individual. At the end of, of each podcast, we ask our, our guests to select a term or jargon in the financial services industry that they would like to either redefine or remove altogether from our vocabulary. What, what, what would that term be for you, Theo? Too many, just one. Disruption. Let's, let's, let's be done with the word disruption. I think disruption, that was what the FinTech space started, wasn't it? Was we are going to disrupt financial services. The question I would ask is 10, 15, 20 years now, 
are we still disrupting or perhaps is a way for us to innovate for the better? I think that might be a better word. I like that answer. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, as always, we are ending with a FinSight fact. And today, Theo, you are going to give us that FinSight fact. What's the FinSight fact that you brought for us? 55% of Americans say they are behind on saving for retirement. It is a fact, but it can also be, some will look at it as a challenge for the economy, but others can look at it as an opportunity. What can we do? Thank you for that fact. And thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. As always, thank you for listening. And thank you to our Kiranos Finsights team. Robin Seidel is our director of thought leadership, editing and production by our senior designer, Adrian Cohen, project management by our marketing communications manager, Megan Brissett. Music is by Vision Studios. I'm your host, Redker Van Fossen. You can find more insights at kiranos.com. Please subscribe and review wherever you listen to podcasts.